0: Welcome to Marison Miller's new flagship, Let's Talk Pensions podcast, featuring conversations with experts on pension planning and management. We discuss the state of pensions, why the environment is changing, and the crucial thinking around generational equality. We also discuss topics such as leadership, the will to manage, and taking a business-minded approach to pensions. Let's Talk Pensions podcast is a Maris & Miller Open Pension initiative. And now, on to our guest. Welcome to the Let's Talk Pensions podcast. Today's guest is Diane Vershert. Diane has 35 years of diverse and progressive experience in all facets of the pension and capital accumulation realm. She is a strategic thinker, operational leader, and change agent who has made significant contributions to the business practices of various consulting and actuarial firms, mutual fund companies, and insurers to deliver superior client service. With her culmination of experience, Diane assists companies through a disciplined approach to manage their CAP programs, develop processes, and ensure governance standards are met. She acts as a resource assisting plan sponsors to develop innovative and successful retirement programs to meet both their corporate and employee needs. She supports companies to correlate their objectives with outcomes. In an article where she was interviewed as an inspiration, she was quoted, the key is to inspire people, understand their objectives, and help them expand their vision to achieve their goals. To balance her strength as a business professional, Diane has also achieved certifications as a life coach, personal trainer, yoga instructor, and engages in motivational speaking, supporting young entrepreneurs and women in business. Hi Diane, welcome to our show. Good morning, Brienne.
1: How are you today? It's a beautiful day. Snow's not on the ground yet.
0: <laughs> Great. I love it when the snow's not around. <laughs> I'd like to start off with asking you about your career and journey into the pension industry. It's, a, it's been a
1: long career. So it started about 35 years ago, and it's been like the best journey. I've experienced so many roles from operations manager, client service, consultant, and RVP. And, you know, in the focus of all these roles, um, I've been able to contribute to growth and evolution of businesses. And when I did that, that also contributed, contributed to the growth and evolution of myself and my skills and, uh, and my business acumen. So it's been, like I said, a wonderful experience. Great. Did you start off in the pension industry? Well, actually, no. I started in Vancouver at Travelers Canada. My first office job ever was in the group benefits division. I actually was a group rater and manually, with my little calculator, calculated the uh, pricing for group benefits. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all done a little bit uh, more high-tech now. But uh, in yeah. the late <laughs> yeah, exactly. In the late 80s, they set up two pension plans, and they said, like, who'd be interested in learning more about these plans? So I put my hand up. Um, I was drawn in by something new, and I recognized that there'd be some growth potential, but I really didn't envision that it would take off the way it did.
0: Interesting. Thank you for sharing. Why, then, pensions, why did you stick with group retirement planning? What about the industry drew you in?
1: You know, I really fell into it because of those two first plans and my involvement in them. And then as I learned more and more, the industry just started really taking off. And I became uh, like an, focused on this very specific, unique field, which I became an expert in. And I, as I said, I didn't really recognize that this is where the path would lead but it certainly did and it's been, like I said, a great evolution.
0: So your current title is Marketing Strategist and I'm just wondering how your current role, maybe you can talk about your current role as well and and what you do, Um, how does it lead to, how does it lead businesses to better outcomes?
1: Well, Marketing Strategist is my terminology for supporting the success of others. My goal is to share all that I've had the privilege to learn with business owners, entrepreneurs, HR specialists and employees, and really be their resource to initiate positive change. Um, One of the things I've seen in this business is a lot of people um, who have so much expertise have retired and they've taken their expertise and their network with them. And I really want to Uh, encourage others. And I also want to be in this role where I give it away before I retire. I use my network to introduce and make connections with other business people. And I I really feel passionate about sharing uh, so much of what I've learned and being able to mentor uh, other business people or help them uh, develop um, in positive ways and create really great outcomes. Uh, and if I can give them a leg up with uh, my knowledge and experience, I'm, that's the focus and that's the marketing strategist. How can I help you better market and position what, what you're doing and what you have?
0: That's great. So it's kind of like a pay, pay it forward. <laughs> exactly. You want to give back. Um, so what is it exactly? What type of services do you provide as a marketing strategist?
1: Oh, that's a great question. As a marketing strategist, I've worked with so many different companies in different ways. So I've worked with advisors who are looking for ways to um, stand out from the crowd and how better to position themselves with uh, their clients and in building their business. I've worked with people who have asked for input on their websites. Um, I'm working with entrepreneurs who are building new record-keeping systems and need to have really solid infrastructure, processes, procedures, client service, call center, um, uh, transcripts. So it just really covers the gamut of everything that's pension related. Wherever uh, a person needs some subject matter expertise in that area, um, I can deliver. I've even had financial advisors uh, reach out to me to ask What do I need to know about group retirement plans and my clients who have them to better serve my clients? So it's just such a broad topic, which I love because no two days are the same. It's it's wonderful.
0: That is great. Yeah, it's nice to have that variety because there are so many ways that you can help to provide that support for different businesses. Thank you. I'm curious what improving financial literacy means to you, and how does it protect your clients and empower their employees?
1: You know, that's something I've shared on my LinkedIn profile, and I really have been passionate about improving financial literacy for years. And it's because it it, it equips people, and I'm talking people like employees, plan sponsors, um, retired people with the information they need to better negotiate investment fees and raise service expectations. In my experience, the majority of individual investors and employers who sponsor group retirement plans don't understand how much they're paying or what's included in their fees. And most often their fees include a service, a service that's frequently not documented, agreed upon, understood, or delivered. And with financial literacy, people will understand what they're paying for and they will increase the expectation of their service providers of uh, fulfilling uh, their objectives and their needs.
0: So you really help a company break down all of the terminology or the, the details, the crossing the T's, dotting the I's kind of information and what that means and how it's going to affect their plan, their business, and everyone that's involved.
1: Thank you. And making it simple, yeah. like making it simple. So, you know, I've been in the role of consultant, consulting to plan sponsors and working with their HR people, working with their finance people. And my objective in that role is to really help them understand what their expectations should be of, of me as a consultant of the insurance company um, from a like, who has a depth of information and tools and resources that most clients don't use, um, how to manage those fees, and really to to help them understand how to get the most out of all the services that they have available to them. But it has to be simple because ultimately a client's focus is on their business, not on on their group retirement programs. So how do they get the most Um, create, have great expectations, and then really um, have resources that they can rely on and count on to deliver those, you know, those services to them.
0: Mm -hmm. So you kind of answered this already, but I was going to ask, if I was a manager of a business making pension decisions, how would you advise me to view risk so that it benefits both my business and my employees?
1: Now, my recommendation would be to um, document the purpose of the plan, like why do you have the plan and what are your objectives for deliverables and do you have a process to measure the results that you're expecting? There's something called the Capital Accumulation Plan Guidelines, also known as the CAP Guidelines, and they actually outline the responsibility a business has or a plan sponsor has in running their plan. The simplest way to express this 32-page document is that the business needs to treat the plan as if it was their own money. And If it was your own money, wouldn't you have an objective and processes and you would measure the results? But unfortunately, uh, most are not aware that these guidelines even exist.
0: And why do you think that is? Is it just uh, missing... Um education i guess there's a lot of uh, miseducation or just no education in the industry well
1: i think what happens in my experience i have been responsible for what we refer to as jumbo plans and that is the group retirement plans of very large employers large employers often have the expertise in-house they have HR people and HR people with benefits and pension experience. And, in my, and, and what I've seen is most of them are very well informed of, of these guidelines. But it's the small and mid-sized clients where the HR person is responsible for hiring, office management, Payroll, benefits, pension, uh, they are responsible for such a, a realm of, of responsibilities to the business that to be a, 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 have an awareness of the CAP guidelines is not something that's on their radar. Yeah. And that's why they need to work with consultants and advisors who help them understand um, these, these um, uh, very important responsibilities.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you. What do you think needs to be changed in the pension industry and what changes would you recommend?
1: Um, I think we need to do a better job of educating our clients so that they're uh, confident in the decisions they make and, of course, provide full fee transparency. You know, today, as an employer sponsoring a plan, if I were to call an insurance company to ask how much I'm paying my advisor, they won't. Give me that information. They'll refer me to my advisor. She's shouldn't be a mystery. Advisors should be paid for the expertise they've developed and the advice they offer. And clients should also take responsibility to understand their role and how to manage their resources.
0: So it sounds like there needs to be much more transparency, especially around what clients are paying for
1: yeah absolutely it's uh i think my the tone of my voice even changed when i responded to that question <laughs> because i felt such a tremendous amount of passion uh, around
0: that uh, subject yeah thank you what do you think are the missing pieces um to union and employee education so that they can understand and make better decisions um and and feel I guess empowered to raise issues with their employers when it comes to their pension plans. You know, plan sponsors
1: need a strategy to encourage employees to be enthusiastic about their financial futures. And I'll share with you this as in a person who's done a lot of education sessions. Uh, a client with 250 employees, four people show up for the seminar.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I did have this really wonderful client, and their HR team came up with this wonderful idea. Every employee that worked for the firm had to have a certain number of credits, education credits, by the end of the year, and that reflected on their bonus, their year-end bonus. And they would get a credit for attending seminars to learn more about their group retirement plan. So there are a lot of really um, great ways and creative ways to encourage the enthusiasm around that financial uh, planning, understanding that the the plan sponsors program, but we um, really have fallen down
0: in that area. Hmm. That's really interesting. I feel like that might be something that is not common to give incentive for people to go to seminars, to learn more. Do you think it's something that is rare, is rarer in in the industry?
1: Yeah, it really is. It is rare. I think there's, it depends on the culture of organizations. I think there's, um, I think people are throwing up their hands. Companies are throwing up their hands, the insurers, the brokers, the advisors. It's like, okay, we give up. Like, we just give up. And that really seems to be the mindset, instead of suggesting like, you know what, there's still gotta be a way. And what I often hear is this, that age old adage that you, know, you, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink it. And we have this great program for our employees, they don't seem to be interested, they're not engaged, oh well. And mm-hmm. we need to change that mindset and, and not, not give up.
0: Why do you think that mindset is
1: there? You know, I love that you asked that. I've been doing this for 35 years. You know, 35 years ago, the employer had a retirement plan and the employees had no involvement. The employer made the investment decisions. There's oftentimes one investment um, or a handful, but the employer took total responsibility. Over the years, the responsibility has shifted and has moved away from the employer to the employee, um, that was not really a lot of communication, education on employee responsibility and what was expected of them. So I think there was a time, it wasn't all on the employer. It has shifted to be the employee's responsibility taking a liability off of the employer for the most part. And the, the lack of education during that transition is really apparent now. Mm. And of course, I think there's a host of other reasons as well. Um, and, but ultimately, it comes down to education. You know, we, I think we're hearing more and more that people would love to see children being educated. Why aren't our children being educated about budgeting, financial literacy, investing money in school? And I have spoken to schools and, and they say there are too many competing topics um, of for extracurricular um, education, that it's it's been very difficult for them to in, include this on the roster.
0: That is really interesting, because um, I know that a lot of people have said, you know, why was I never taught this in school? Why was I never taught basic things like, you know, how to manage my money or what all these different things mean when you get out into the real world and you start working in a job. um, And for most people, that's for a company or a corporation. And I know that, yeah, that's interesting that they say it's competing because I know that a lot of people would have liked that to be in their education.
1: And we think about what it's competing with. Like when you go to school, when you went to school, Brianne, did you learn about, um, the laws like the laws that are, as they apply to you did you learn about how to um work with banks or how to negotiate with a bank or how to get a mortgage like there's so many basic things and uh, what our rights are what what's the employment act there's so many things that we need to know to you know just manage our lives that we don't learn and then we if we aren't learning them from our parents Um, we have to learn this on our own. And there's, I think if you sat down and made a list of all the things that would have been uh, beneficial to you to have learned in school, you'll recognize that that list is really long. And unfortunately, this is not on, on the list.
0: Yeah, well, that makes sense. And, you know, anything I think in the financial realm is or can be a steep learning curve because there's a lot of terminology and you know, ways that things are done that most people just don't understand if they're not in the industry, if they don't take the time to really learn these things. Because like you said, it's not something that's part of an education that's given to employees most of the time. Um, So it's definitely, (laughs) I think sometimes for a lot of people, for most people, maybe it's, it's sort of a, a big awakening. It's kind of a, a shock when you get into the real world and you have to learn all these things, right?
1: Exactly. And I think with financial literacy or just investing your own money, um, I think we try to educate people in an hour and we don't learn 18 concepts in an hour and You know, I was successful in educating my mother in her 80s and giving her a foundation of an understanding, particularly when the markets were down and she was really uh, concerned and stressed, and being able to help her understand her investments so that she felt confident um, was doable. It was doable. She wanted to understand it was her money and it really it's not rocket science it's really simple we have to have a willingness to to recognize that we can learn that it's not difficult and i think so many people think like i start with this line i'm stupid and i don't understand this i have heard that line spoken by so many people i don't understand this it's not your fault. It hasn't been communicated to you in a way that you can understand it yet. Right. And they take the onus on themselves that I don't get it. You don't get it because it hasn't been communicated appropriately to you yet. It's, it's really, it's so simple.
0: It's not always the education part. It's the way that the education is being taught. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that brings me to my next question. Um, in that research, says that 68% of workers in a multi country 2018 study stated that pension benefits were a critical factor in choosing or staying with an employer, and 84% of respondents reported that they wanted to utilize company based retirement planning services. Do you think that companies will need to change the benefits they provide to employees for rec- recruitment and retention in the future? Well, that's a big question, Brianne.
1: <laughs> you know, certainly people are concerned about their future. And, and in the seminars I deliver, I'm always asked, do you think CPP will be a benefit for me when I retire You know, 20 mm-hmm. years from now? How much do I need to retire? And the fear of running out of money is expressed all the time. So, you know, it stands to reason that when asked if pension benefits are a critical factor, the answer is going to be yes. You know, but as a result of the lack of financial literacy, the employee level of appreciation of their plans is often low. You know, In fact, I recently met with a company that provides a group RSP with a 10% employer contribution and no requirement for employees to contribute. And incredibly, not all the employees are enrolled in the plan. Interesting. So, Yeah, so while these programs were developed and continue to be positioned to attract and retain valuable employees, the key to their success is to increase employees' understanding and appreciation of this portion of their compensation package. Once that's accomplished, employees may be better armed in negotiating their compensation, and companies will then need to ensure they're competitive within their industry. So I think hmm. to the industry is a huge factor. Is it one with a huge turnover or one with long-term service employees? The benefits that they provide need to fit the culture.
0: And uh, That was going to be my follow-up question because I, <laughs> maybe I should have done a little bit more digging into this, but I'm wondering now about the age that the survey um, was conducted, the age bracket, because... You know, you said that a small number of people are actually enrolled in the plan. And, you know, what age demographic is that? Is that more of the people closer to the baby boomer age? Um, And I'm wondering if this survey is or was focused on more of the millennials, the people that are, you know, in the workforce now and, you know, a few years into their career. Um, and if that makes a difference.
1: You know, it really does. I recently um, worked with this client who has a a 5% match in a pension plan. Well, the pension plan means that the employee cannot take the money out. The money they contribute and their employer contributes has to be used to provide them with a monthly pension when they retire. Because of that, Many of the employees voiced to me that, you know, I don't know if I can afford 5%. I have a mortgage. I have children. I have debt. I'm a millennial. As we all know, I have debt. I have um, student loans. And so many, many millennials or young people don't want to see their paycheck reduced. And they're not looking at the long-term strategy. They're looking at their immediate
0: uh, needs. Yeah, and that raises some many, I think, questions around that. And I I mean, that's a whole other tangent (laughs) that we could go on, um, you know, in terms of cost of living and, you know, why they don't want to put that money away. I know for myself, it's, it's difficult to put money away when, you know, there's so many things competing for your income and what you need to spend it on. So there's just so many layers to all of this, isn't there?
1: There is. And you know, there's, you know, I have to share this with you because you just brought this to my mind is that we haven't found a really great way to um, communicate to young people that makes it about them that really helps them understand why this is important to you. And I'm of an age where, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, 60 years old. I have a lot of life experience. And here's what I would, the message I would give to young people is the more financially secure you are, the more powerful and confident you feel, the more you're in your career and feeling like, I'm doing this because I want to do this, not because I have to do it. That's good for employers to have those types of people working for them that want to be there and and are empowered financially and psychologically. And it it all stems from feeling uh, financially secure. Not being financially secure creates a lot of stress. And if we help people understand how that financial security can help them um, Psychologically, mentally, physically, it, we, we really haven't communicated that successfully.
0: Mm. Thank you. So I think you touched on this a little bit earlier. Um, the Canadian Life and Health Insurance Association announced back in the spring that they decided to withdraw the guideline for advisor fee disclosure for group benefits and group retirement services. I know you had mentioned that... Um, Companies are not required to disclose those fees, which I think is very interesting. And so why do you think it's important to have transparency in the industry? And how does not knowing um, advisor fees affect companies when making decisions on benefits and retirement plans?
1: Well, first off, I have to share with you that I almost lost my coffee when my jaw dropped on reading the announcement. (laughs) Uh, it happened on my birthday, actually. Oh. Uh, so <laughs> in May of 2019, when the CLHIA announced that they are not going to move forward on uh, the re- requirement for fee disclosure of commission. So there, there is uh, fee transparency on investment management fees. It's the fee transparency of commission being paid to advisors and consultants. Okay. So when that announcement was made, like all was quiet on the client front. And uh, it's so disappointing to really recognize that there is such little awareness. And transparency, of course, is important because in the majority of plans, and this is something people are not aware of, these fees, the commission is paid by the employee, not the employer. The commission is added on to the investment fees that are deducted from employee accounts. It's the company's responsibility to advocate for their employees. And I believe that if a plan sponsor understood these fees, um, they would more likely um, expect higher service from their advisors and create a better experience for themselves and their employees. So plan sponsors really do need to partner with their advisor and agree upon service commitments and fees.
0: Can you explain the difference between fees and commission? Um, And do you have an idea as to why one is disclosed and not the other?
1: Thanks for that question, uh, Brianne. Investment management fees are typically fees that are paid to investment fund management companies for the work that they do to manage portfolios, the fees that they pay to trade uh, stocks and bonds, and in the insurance world, they there's an add-on as well for the insurance world's administration, because the insurance company is also providing call centers and uh, enrollment sessions and marketing materials, and there's a lot of support that they're providing. So oftentimes, their fees are also included in those investment management fees. Now, you also, as a plan sponsor, will have an advisor who's helping you review your program from time to time, make sure that you're um, with uh, an appropriate uh, service provider, and your advisor also as your subject matter expert is getting paid. And they're getting a paid an agreed-upon commission, and that commission is on top of the investment management fee that's deducted from the employee's account. And it's that commission that of course should be paid for an advisor. So myself as a consultant, I want to be paid for my expertise and the service I provide to a client. But What clients need to ask themselves is, is my advisor getting paid too little, too much, or just right for the service that I'm receiving as a client? And that part is not understood and I think If you knew you were paying your advisor a particular sum, then your expectation of service would be in line with that uh, uh, annual payment or or annual uh, commission that that person's earning. But truly on the other hand, if I'm receiving a uh, commission that's a percentage of how much money is in the plan uh, that I'm servicing, And there's no money in there because it's a brand new plan, then, as an advisor, a percentage of commission on nothing is not really a lot of income. (laughs) And so, employers also need to understand that sometimes your service expectations might be really high, but your advisor is really not receiving any kind of compensation that's significant enough to cover their costs to provide higher levels of service so it works for the advisor as well as for the client to really understand what that commission is and to what are my expectations of the service for that that level of commission
0: definitely and it sounds like the commission amounts are all over the place it's not right. really set in stone it just depends and i i'm sure it depends on you know whether you're buying insurance or group retirement plan it sounds like maybe the group retirement planning might be a bit lower because like you said, there's not as much money in the fund. Is that, is that right? Well,
1: I'll step back. The way it works is I have, I'm the employer and I have a pension plan for my employees. And in that plan is $10 million. The consultant commission is a percentage of those total assets that 10 million dollars in my plan and or i have 1 million and their commissions applied to 1 million i have 100 million their commissions applied to that 100 million and so it really is behooves the plan sponsor to really understand what that number is and you're right it's all over the map it's different different advisors provide different levels of service and so different clients have different objectives some have greater objectives some have less objectives Um, some have higher service expectations some have lower so it really you can see it becomes a partnership between the sponsor and the advisor on what the service should be what our objectives are and what is a reasonable fee for for that service
0: Mm -hmm. thank you So if a company wanted to sort of get around (laughs) that (laughs) non-transparency sort of way of doing business, are there any solutions or platforms out there that eliminate the need for an advisor?
1: Well, you know, I wouldn't suggest that the role of of advisor be eliminated. And there, there will always be fees. But there is, in fact, a new generation of group retirement plans in the market that's offering a different service model, and that's <coughs> Robo advisors. And at last count, there were eight in the Canadian marketplace and growing. Um, wealth simple, link, um, wealth bar. Uh, I think it's nest wealth. There's, there's many in this new market that's growing to compete with the insurers for that business. Uh, most of them use exchange-traded funds, and that's what keeps the fees remarkably low. Um, the model typically puts more money in the pockets of employees and simplifies administration. And I, I refer to this as better outcomes. But there still needs to be someone to assist the client to make good decisions to understand what they have to understand the fees to provide employee education to understand the client's objectives and to fulfill that role
0: i was gonna ask yeah who is you know who's helping the employer and employees then make the decisions in terms of where to invest Do you know if you can hire advisors then, or is it just a matter of asking somebody outside to come in maybe to consult um, if a company chooses to use a platform like this, for instance?
1: Well, again, a great question because here's how this platform differs. The way the uh, robo-advisor platform differs is employees do not require investment advice they actually go online to enroll in their plan and they complete something called a know your client questionnaire. And it's an investment questionnaire. They complete the 10 to 13 questions. And when they're finished, the program has prescribed for them their investment lineup based on the exchange traded funds, and based on their answers to the investment questionnaire and so they are then suitably invested based on uh, their personal results
0: okay so it's almost like a virtual um, advisor that's built into these platforms
1: yeah and you can see how uh, for the millennials this is the way that they do business this is the way that they reach out into the marketplace it's a really good fit Um, i don't know for boomers um, how adaptive they are or i think if maybe they really understood that this the onus of choosing the appropriate mix of funds is now on to the system that will help them make these suitable decisions i think that would be really helpful Uh, we see so many uh, employees that are not suitably invested. So while the advisors and and really the advisors in the current group plans aren't providing individual investment advice to employees, they are providing a service to the plan sponsor of the for oversight of the entire program.
0: So overall, you know, when you look at this fee situation. Um, or I should say commission situation um, and in terms of the education in the pension industry, do you think there's enough transparency happening there overall?
1: <laughs> well, no, no, there's <laughs> not. And there needs to be more conversation
0: and awareness around this issue. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's all the questions I have for you, Diane. Um, I guess I'm also wondering where our listeners can find out more about you and the types of services you provide. Well, it's been a great conversation, thanks Brianne.
1: and thanks for asking my contact is on LinkedIn and I really invite people to reach out to start a conversation. I think my role is really one to um, meet with people, uh, educate them, help them understand. I'm uh, certainly not uh, in the service of um, providing a consultative role as far as assisting clients with their oversight on their uh group plans but i would love to have some conversations um, to help people better uh, understand what they do have and what their expectations should be
0: great thank you and i just want to point out that your name diane is spelt d i a double n e And could you spell your last name in case people want to look you up? Uh, We'll (laughs) also put a link to your LinkedIn profile under um, the show uh, in the show notes. But if you could spell that out for them, that would be great.
1: Well, I have a a one-of-a-kind surname. It's Versher. V as in Victor. E-R-S-C-H-U-E-R-E and I'm very accustomed to spelling it many times during a day.
0: (laughs) Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Diane. It's been a great conversation and we were very happy um, that you agreed to come on the podcast. Thanks so much, Brianne. Bye for now. Take care. You've been listening to the Let's Talk Pensions podcast, a Marison Miller Open Pension Initiative To learn more about our firm and to listen to more episodes, please visit our website at www.marismiller.com.